Right on radio. Right on radio. And welcome once again to Right on Radio. My name is Jeff. I'm going to bring on Jesse and Tom in just a moment, but I'm actually doing this introduction after we finished recording because we came up with a really big announcement that I'm going to get to in just one moment. But, you know, the conversation goes wild when Tom is here, and this episode will not disappoint you, uh, Tom being the author of The Immortals. But there's a few things that I forgot to do because it was a bit of a wild episode. First of all, I didn't mention Jesse's website, which is Illuminate the Darkness. Visit Illuminate the Darkness and Illuminate Your Mind. Also, whenever you're watching these, please do check the subscription box. Look, it's really important that if you're watching this on YouTube or if you're a Podbean user, look, there's other links in there. So for instance, we're going to be growing a Gab TV channel. And we know that right now some of these platforms have been going down. So I'm putting some additional links inside the description box for you. And one of them is going to be for Jesse's Patreon. She has a good little Patreon program. I encourage you to help it. And, you know, she's really in the fight. And I know I keep saying this, but we need to keep her in full time. It's not like it's coming in in abundance for her. And uh, so we just need your prayers for that, but also contribute. But now the big announcement, this Sunday coming up at 10 a.m., Jesse and I are going to be doing a live show, but Jeff, that's not a big deal. You've done a live show the last couple Sundays. Yes, that's true. But this time it is going to be with Tom and we're going to do question and answer from the audience. So you need to be there. It's going to be 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for you. And uh, we're going to be monitoring the chat. And your questions can go right to Tom himself. So listen, without further ado, we're going to get into the show. Thank you for being a subscriber to Right On Radio. We really do love you. And the channel is growing. And it's not about us. It's about you waking up the sheeple and, uh, and telling people about live right in the real world. Anyways, here comes the show. Right on, right on, right on. Right on radio. Right on radio. Welcome to Right on Radio. This is a special Tuesday edition, and it's special because we have Tom back. And why is Tom so important? Because it's been said we've been living in the Matrix. Why not talk to the architect, the author? But it wasn't of the Matrix. It was the immortals in which the Matrix was only a part of it, and it was lifted out. So there's incredible insight. He's very key to everything going forward because he knows the playbook. But so does she, and she is full of grace and wisdom today. Jesse's a boater is back with us as well. Good morning to you, Jesse. Good morning, Jeff. <laughs> and good morning to you, Tom. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning. All right. So, Tom, we never know where this is going to go. You're fired up. I've, I've been seeing you posting on Telegram, first of all. And by the way, everyone should just search him out. Uh, Tom Althouse on Telegram. Been posting a lot of really cool stuff, some good diatribes, really team building in a lot of way. I've just uh, really appreciated the positive tone of some of the stuff you put out. Mm -hmm. Can we just start with some of the some of the stuff that you've been laying out lately? Yes, we've been we've been seeing a high level approachment now, trying to infiltrate and uh, people being bought and players like that. And what's happening is we're we're forming a core that actually can weather all of that. And simply straightforward, go for the what what matters most and what we need to do to finish this. And it's like running a playbook on a football field. It's like um, I feel like a guy who's got the ball with other great players, and we're running down that field. And their orders are: you can't take this guy out, you can't stop him. We need this guy. 
And so it's like, we're just running the ball down the field. They're not allowed to tackle us. And so they're trying to buy off our team, but our team is staying true. And so it's like, it's game is over. As I said, the game is over. They say, it's all about power. Well, if that's, if that's a small element you're dealing with, we've got this. They say, we have the power. And now we just have to lay it out for the audiences to understand. Mm -hmm. And you do have a good team and count Jesse and I as being on your team as well, Tom. I consider you family as well as team. <laughs> Amen. You're at a loss for words there, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I just actually thought you were about to jump in, Jesse, and I didn't want to stop on you. No, I was yeah. getting excited. I was going to see where we were going. <laughs> Being silent is a rarity, so take advantage of this. So. Well, what, what, I've, uh, what I've said in the past, and I, and I love the football analogy, um, Tom, you know, if you've got the ball and you're running it, but you had to play defense for so many years. And as mm. I said on our Sunday program, you mm. never put up a defense unless you're planning an offense. Good call. And it, and it yeah. sounds like it really has shifted. You've got the ball back in your court now and mm -hmm. you're going forward. So why don't you give us a, a glimpse of what that looks like? Well, it's what they're saying on the other side is it's over. You've won, Tom. And now they're going to, you're going to see them fraction even more. It's what the paparazzi said in Hollywood. These paparazzi people that I'm now friends with, they want me to actually do their, their life story, their movie that gives them a better light than what they've been criminally put as. So they're interesting. There's this element that actually is saying, you got this, just stay alive. It's, it's over. Meanwhile, contacts are saying you've done it. You've won the chess game. You know, it's all through Hollywood and through a different um, operation like CIA, FBI. They know who you are. They know you've won the game. And it's all done through having a good heart and good people that you can trust working together. That's part of the playbook, divide and conquer, alienate, isolate. But you've got really good people with good hearts, you find each other. And when you know you can trust each other, they don't know how we can trust each other, we can. But things that have been happening is, the other side, as I said, their currency is basically being clever. You can, you can read them, the playbook is pretty easy to read and it does have a finite ending to it where they don't know where to go from because they're all based on the idea that we all have our price, we're all pliable, we can all be bought. When they find that that's not true and that we can actually work out a compassion instead of the laws of nature, where it's all about power and eating up the weak, when they realize that we actually are these entities that are people who have heart, have been through the grist mill, we may have the scars, but we're looking forward to all benefiting, all people rising, which our screenplay says. Keep in mind that they, they say they put us in our own screenplay, in our own story. Well, to do that, they have to enter it too. Now they're on our turf. They're in what we wrote. Oh, that's that an interesting line. point. Yeah. So we've got them. And that's what I keep hearing. Now it's a matter of I'm getting compliments from the other side while they're supposed to destroy us. We had planes and helicopters flying over, planes flying over, and we'd be saying, here comes the flying circus. And they do loop. They'll do a loop and a swirl and go like that because they're listening in. And what's interesting is they're actually giving a nod. We had a plane fly over and it went like this when we we're talking about it. It tipped its wings like this. Anybody in the military who knows what that meant, that's a salute. That's a victory salute. And so what's happening is they know we've won, but they're going through their motions of what they're supposed to do. It's over. It's a time to celebrate. We've got this. And we don't have to do any kind of codes or anything like that. We can simply say, we've got this because we've done the right thing as a group, as a group that's forming. And we're going to see more and more people from the other side come with their little journals and little resumes and say, hey, we want to be on your team. Because they say, even in ancient Rome, I'm watching a series about ancient Rome, which we in America, historians will tell you, is the only real republic after ancient Rome. We're the ones that's modeled after. Our founding fathers modeled after it. They studied Latin and Greek and they studied ancient Rome. And our, look at Washington, D.C., what's this modeled after? We are modeled the Republic of Ancient Rome. We're supposed to do it right this time. Well, we're suffering the same ailments and laments that they suffered when they were starting to collapse but it can be saved, it can be good. We can form this country into one that actually works with other countries and does the right thing and allows its artists to shine. So right now we're at the point where we're being looked at, maybe we were right. They certainly can't do our work. If you operate from a base of greed, avarice, uh, wanting to be the top dog and have all the power, you can't create the work that those of us that actually have a heart for humanity does because we approach it as a service. So we end up with work like this that is actually something that they are drunk on. They're like, how did you create this? You know, how'd you become this two hit wonder, they say, because I have a piece greenlighted for Off-Broadway. They want in the party, they want a piece of it. But we're saying, look, if you want to do this kind of work, 
get rid of your fat cats in the middle. You don't need these producers like Joel Silver, Steelberg, they call them, even call them Steelberg in Hollywood, Mike Lang, Harvey Weinstein, Michael Eisner. You don't need any of these guys. You don't need them. Let the artists do it. We can form a system where copyright law actually works and we actually have a guarded system where you can go forward and be protected in your work and share it, which is copyright law is supposed to do. So that's the things that are starting to come through now. We're learning now that we just, we had won our case. We had won our case. They keep saying you lost. We had won it. But the attorneys they planted make sure we couldn't take advantage of what exactly Sophia Stewart got to take advantage of. We won our case and they took it away from us. But now we're coming back with fraud and everything else. So what I'm saying is there's a whole composite of a huge picture happening. All fronts are moving forward and we're running down that field and we're gonna score. We're gonna finish this game. Jesse, what I love about what Tom is saying is he's proclaiming it. That's right. We were talking about that just yesterday or Sunday. On Sunday. Yeah. He's very cool. You're proclaiming it already. You're putting it out there. You're claiming that territory. You're claiming there's no one left on the field to bring you down. No, no one. And you were right, Jeff. In the beginning of this whole scenarios and, you know, Puspa, what happened in the beginning was I was tied to the stake on the field, not allowed to move. My bonds are cut. Now I'm running with a ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is amazing. So, you know, that's that. But I, you already brought forward the word, but the victory, you know, mm-hmm. that the victory is won. And, you know, scripture tells us that, that Jesus already defeated this enemy. Mm-hmm. And we're just entering into that victory and walking in the authority of it. You know, you just hit something right there too, to me, Jesse. I love when we have these, this family talk, I'll call it. It's really cool. You know, the public can come in our living room like this. But it's like, all, like Jeff, you, me. It's like, wow, it's like family. They are operating on being clever. Those of us that have a heart to discard that. We don't care about being clever. We care about being clear. We care about being honest. We care about being helpful, making a difference. That's what we care about. They don't care about that. They care about power, being clever. In the end, in their circles, Anybody around their boardrooms wants to be the top dog. And they say, that's how ancient Rome was. Every young man grew up in ancient Rome, they say now, historians are saying, thinking they could be the top person. That's what Caesar did, Mark Anthony, the rest of them, Pompey. They all wanted to be the top. And so they end up tearing each other apart, knowing in the end, they're against each other, like a Hunger Games. But in ours, it's we are all gonna read each other at the end, whether it's with the table of the Lord or on this earthly plane celebrating because we worked together without any thought of avarice or to take advantage of each other or to cut each other down or to use each other. It's not about being clever for us. It's about being clear. It's about being honest. It's about being uh, making a difference for all life. Well, the, the spirits that give you the, give the lust for power, you know, this really affects all the top families, those bloodlines you were talking about, like they're constantly battling each other for position. Yes, they are. And yes, they are. And yet, and, and Jesse, you can speak to this as well, but yet at the same time, they have to do their symbolism stuff. They have to tell the people, like if you look at the Rockefeller's website and stuff like that, they've told us their plans. You look at Agenda 2030, Agenda 21, mm-hmm. they've told us their plans. Mm-hmm. Yes, they, they just do. expect the sheeple not to uh, to respond to it. Well, you're right, Jeff. We get together as writers, they, they come to us, they seek us out. They go like, oh my God, you're the right, you, we love your work. Even though you're not getting it publicly recognition and you're being shut down, we know you did the work. And so we want to tell you, it's an honor to meet you. And they start dropping things to us. They let us know information. So we're like little sponges that are picking up, those of us that are writers on the inside, we're being given all kinds of stuff that they're leaking to us, dripping to us because they want to be clever and they want to brag. They have bragged so many things. That's why my high school is in the first graphic because they're bragging that they're taking the work. That's in the first graphic in the matrix. So it's my name, my birthday, my dad's name, all that. Why is that all in there? Because they're bragging, putting it in plain sight, which Jesse may have insight on this. Why are they putting stuff in plain sight? Why are they putting these things out in these films, these Easter eggs all through these films? Why are they bragging and putting stuff in plain sight? You know, to me, like I never really looked at it as the enemy has to let everybody know what they're doing. It almost was a form of control, a form of mockery and a form of intimidation that, you know, they want you to feel like you're defeated, like 
mm-hmm. you know, that they're putting everything that's yours out there that you may not even want out there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the whole world is going to see it. And, you know, it's their kind of, we've defeated you. You no, know, we've brilliant. taken your identity. We've taken everything that belongs to you. We've just made public and now it's, you know, everybody's going to associate it with this or, you know, it's a character. It's not a real person who has feeling or value or um, control over their life. You know, you're controlled. And and that's kind of what they do out there. Right. They own you. And they also tell you that no one's going to help you. So you're right. They're putting it blightly out there while they're erasing you from all records, erasing you and saying, no one's going to help you. Look, the world can see this. No one's going to help you. Yeah. Yeah. Isolate. I I once had, I mean, this is just hilarious, but I I mean, this is how serious it gets. So um, I had two visits back to back at this one residential place. And the, the first one, like I had not had any spiritual warfare attack like this for quite some time. And we had there was a little old woman I had to go visit. And the day before she literally had almost accomplished choking one of the nurses. Mm -hmm. So we were told like, you know, keep yourself distanced and, you know, don't be close to her, just, you know, provide her with support. So I go to visit her and, and the nurse like directs me straight into her room and is like, Oh, I'll bring her in. And I was like, okay, you know, so I sit in this chair and, instead of like taking her over to the bed, like literally the nurse like reels her wheelchair right up to me. And now I have this woman in between me and the rest of the room and the door. Like I can't go anywhere. And so literally I sat on like the armrest of the chair just to give myself a little bit more arms length because she was like, right next to me right and we started talking about Christmas music and you know she loved music and so we were having this great conversation and all of a sudden she stops like dead stops in the middle of a sentence and she starts word for word talking about a very specific event in my childhood now I know nobody knows about this like it's you know it's like where is this woman getting this? Either she had to be there or this is demonic. And and I knew she hadn't been there, you know? So I'm just sitting there like, oh gosh, now I've got like this demon less than arms length away. (laughs) And so I just started praying and I was like, Lord, you got to get me out of this situation. And as I was praying, it was really funny. She started like rolling back in her wheelchair until finally like she was like against the wall and I was just like well it's been great conversating with you I've got to go now Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I like left the room and no kidding as I'm walking up the stairs this elderly facility had a library up there and they they would put books in the window right and there had been a couple books in there but like when I came in Now, as I went to leave, there was only one book in the window and it had this creepy like woman's eye, like, you know, like a Jezebel eye. And the title of the book in big letters says, you belong to me. Wow. And I was like, what the heck? Like, it was just like the enemy had totally planned all that, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, and I was like, how do they coordinate all of this? It's crazy. Yes, it is. Tom, I'm starting to understand the looks on your face now. And if I'm wrong, you were thinking in layers. You were putting that into a script right there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Yeah, That's what's happening is I'm meeting people that think in layers. And thank you, Jesse, for sharing that. You know, it's when you guys talk more things connect and more layers go. That's the beauty of thinking in layers is that when you have a team that thinks in layers, it's like you have, it's like, that's how you can come up with these great screenplays. Mm-hmm. And like this one reviewer said, you know, Tom's like this guy who's juggling firebrands and calling for more. And then they all come together in this perfect finish. And it's like, he says, it's like Mozart or Shakespeare. That's why the other side shook. What they do is they rely on people who steal the work 
And their qualifications are they're going to be loyal because they failed at everything, being drawn out of USC or Berkeley. There's hotbeds that they're drawn from. And so, no, what you just said, you know, wow, that's, that's very powerful. But I'm thinking too, yeah, go ahead. They get the nonstop narratives, you know. It's like everything comes straight from Satan and his demons down to the mothers, to the satanic council, then on to the grand high priests and priestesses, then to the high priest and priestesses. And from there, it goes out to all the departments and the managers. Mm -hmm. And so, like you said, like all they are is reiterating everything. And I can remember as a kid, you know, that was part of my training was that every single night, you know, they'd say, well, can you hear Satan? Can you hear these spirits talking? And I, at first, like when they were, you know, just starting the training, I had to word for word dictate everything that I had just heard. And that's how this works. Like, it's just complete, you know, you hear, you memorize, you dictate word for word, exactly what they've said. Mm -hmm. And these people get used to that. Like, that's how, you know, they, they learn to operate, they hear, and they put out exactly what they've received. That's what we do in the Mason. You know, like you've brought out no free thought. No, you can't vary from, you know, your own creativity or put your own thoughts out there. Right. That's what Masons are like that. We have to, we're drilled and tested on long narratives that we have to get word perfect. Yeah. And so all stuff. So they become actors like, in the in the play. Yes, yeah. they do. Well said. That's exactly right. And you know, you just made me think of it too, actors in the play. What they do is like Robertson's group and these other groups, what they do is if you have something to reveal, they absorb you. They make you an offer to absorb you. It happens with all these groups. Here comes, oh, you can hear it. The helicopters are flying over right now. It's like boom in the house. Anyways, whatever. Anyway, they must be interested. But the thing is they absorb you, they make you an offer. And that keeps happening. Everybody who's doing some good, like in my train that have been, they'll be given an offer. Now it'll be interesting, you guys probably won't because we're at such a level that I think they see us as all equal across the board and why try? They profile us, you know, and especially if we've already been on the inside and stood up for good, it's kind of hard to come back with another offer to top what you had before. I mean, they got to figure what's going to make you crumble. They already took my sons. They already took my daughter. They already took those the closest to me. They took my sister, you know, rewarded her well. And that's after they said, you know, Tom, you need a congressman or a senator to go to bat for you. And you'll have this thing assessed out and write it. And what happened was they gave my sister at that time a congressman. Well, they didn't have a congressman to give her, actually. So they made one out of us, us FBI operative from Hollywood. Fitzpatrick, Brian Fitzpatrick. So they made one. Isn't that something how far it goes? And Jeff, you were talking about, you know, where are we in some new discoveries and posts that have been done? And it's like, yeah, things are coming together. Poisoning, roofied, you know, you go through it all. If you do not take the offer and what's really fascinating in the film, the real life film that it will be is when you have a planted wife who's working for Michael Eisner's Mike Lang directly has a criminal record you didn't know about prior and it's begging you to go ahead and give in to the offers because otherwise she can't stay with you, you know? So she's had a change of heart at a certain point in this timeline where she's going, look, you need to take the offers. If you don't think of the laws of nature and start obeying the laws of nature, which is you prey upon the weak and you keep being this compassionate, sick, compassionate person, then you're not going to get the rewards and they're never going to take you. So let's get into that part, Tom, but I, I want to draw something is started off this way and, and position it this way because you had talked about the Easter eggs mm -hmm. earlier and how they put them in. Mm -hmm. And so I'm thinking about the scene in the matrix with the train station mm -hmm. and they were going to give the kids over to the system. Mm -hmm. And, but what happened in your case is you were given this person, Becca. Mm hmm Mm -hmm. So tell us who Becca was and tell us some of the actions that happened and how it ties back in to that train station type of scene. Absolutely. Great. And keep me on track if I get off the track, because I want to get that train station scene tied in. Absolutely. What you have is a woman named Becca Northcutt, right? Becca Lynn Northcutt. And her name now is Becca B. Lynn. 
Now they do a lot of dumbing, doubling in Hollywood. So her name now is a soft porn star, a model soft porn star. She's a double for her. So now she could operate as somebody who fills in for confusing anybody who deals with that soft porn star model. They could say, well, they could give address of Becca, Lee, Becca uh, B. Lynn, my one that was planted. And so what they do is she becomes a new operative where they will send her that way. And people serving papers or trying to get in touch with the real model will be going to the wrong one. They did it. So with they, they sent her in as a handler. Yeah, right. Essentially. Okay. Yeah, that, she was, I wanted was to get to that first. Okay. So what happens is I don't know her at all from Eve or Adam. And what happens is at the right time to throw the case, she appears. She appears. Um, she appears at taking classes at a improv group I was in, part of, I was company, part of a company on Maui. And she's taking classes. She's coming up to me after the performance. She's uh, saying, you know, something about you. There was a split second. I saw something about you. Give me her phone number, you know, and they know they profile you. They listen and they profile. One of my pet rules, and I don't mean to sound arrogant. It wasn't meant to be that way. I just wanted to keep creating, not be concerned about dating. I didn't want to do dating. I want to just create. And so I had this general rule to protect me that my son actually is adopted now. Um, I'm not going to ask anybody out. If somebody wants to go out with me, they have to ask me. I don't think it's fair to guys always having to ask. I'm just going to create. And it happened. People kept asking me out, even asked me to marry them. So it wasn't, it wasn't strange to me because I was creating and doing well. So here comes this woman and she's got the look. What I find out is her look was changed. What she really looked like was short. She liked short hair and this like gothic kind of weird look, hippie look. She changed into this modest looking, long, beautiful curled hair, the lips done, the makeup, you know, a certain way she dressed. It was, it was like, it was Otika, the person that I had lost, that I had trusted completely. Here comes another Otika, right? Perfectly positioned. Taking classes in the improv group I'm in, uh, which I didn't know she was taking classes. I just thought she was somebody from the audience. So she gives me this number and I, I gave her mine. I didn't contact her. Two weeks later, I get a call saying, would you like to go out? You know, this is Becca in a very sweet, loving voice. She made herself seem like she was pristine. She said she was like this virgin, pristine person, like a nun. She said that, you know, in just this way, I can't help it. I always have been. That's not who it was. Her background is actually, uh, she had been in jail. She's an ex-con. She had a, uh, one of the charges with prostitution, breaking, entering, things like this. Um, she had been high on drugs all the time. She had journal entries. She had left that, you know, she, she was angry, violent, all kinds of stuff, stronger than me. But they had this perfect plant like Total Recall where she also, her landlord was the attorney, Anthony Rankin, who was classmates with lead attorney of Warner Brothers who's gonna handle our case to throw it. So Becca, uh, Rebecca Northcutt becomes in, go by Becca Northcutt comes in and she becomes the gateway for the attorney to come to me. I didn't know who he was, so she ushers him in. And so this whole thing transcends that way. Now she didn't wanna have a baby or a child with me, I'm a job. And she made it very clear through gaslighting that her job was that all women would see her with me, she said, and you know, basically I would be contained. Um, she would put me down in public. She'd never introduced me as her husband when we got married. Um, she said that um, uh, there's lots of people that have done more than me. Um, Tom's not that great. Um, Tom, don't try to pursue anything, just um, do your job. And so I was being handled. What they're doing is running the statute of limitations out on the case. But when it came time for the statute to run in um, 2009, she texts me to a website, right? Now that it's time to run the statutes, the attorney, they're all in position to get all my notes, all my documents, all my evidence. And if you get the notebooks of the actual authors who wrote the good work that Hollywood wants, then you can steal it better you know, and also throw his case so that he can't ever do anything while you steal again. That's exactly what happened with Joel Silver and Oblivion and everything else. So what happens is um, she shows me something on the web, a little girl pointing at the sun from Matrix. She shows me the train station scene. What a nice segue, right? Obviously important. With a little girl at the train station. She's showing me this, honey, look at this. I'm like, whoa, duh. You know, they must be laughing at me so, so much when they hear this, but it's like, you know, whoa, that looks like my work, duh. 
what they're doing is statute of limitations, it's time. You have 10 years to discover. 10 years are now running out. So at the 10 year run out mark, they can't lose their case, can they? Because you're already at statutes. So here's the plan. So show him now, right? Have him launch a case he can't win so that we'll get all his materials through discovery, all his materials, all his notes, all his drafts. Don't give them all back. Throw his case. And that way you can launch all the films you want off his work, understanding it. Joel Silver actually said it was ro robots in the program to this heads at Warner Bros. After stealing my work through the case and throwing it, he understood it was robot-like agents in the program. He got it right, see? And so he just take with oblivion, which Disney held for him. So that's how it works. And you see these things where actually in the case being thrown, they stipulate after statutes have run, statute of limitations have run a second time, they stipulate that they're gonna go ahead and let you serve the defendants. Why? You've already won. You've already railroaded it out. Because they want to get your notes, your work, your inputs, everything, keep you from ever launching a case again so they can all steal. And they did immediately as the case was thrown, they all stole immediately, each defendant. Warner Brothers did Elysium, Joel Silver did Oblivion, held by Disney. Netflix, which the attorneys for Warner Brothers are now working for, did Sense8 for the Wachowskis. And I couldn't do anything about it. So they had all my notes and did everything the way they wanted to, as the author had it, from the world Tumult has created, which their expert witness said was a fantastic world. So this woman's planted. Now, after she does her job, what's next? Well, Aiden's born. She actually said to him and me, me first and then him later, you weren't supposed to be born. The spirit world did not want you born. And Jesse, you would understand that kind of talk. Yeah. You know, you weren't supposed to be born. You're supposed to be sent back. You're not supposed to be here. Then she'd say to me, I would take him and he was hurt or something. I'd say, can you hold him, honey? No, no, I'm not touching him, not holding him. That's a mother. I'm not going to touch him. Then she's telling him that saying that, you know, he's your blood, not mine. You're his mother. And so what happens is I raised him. I was his mom and dad. I was everything to him. And he knows he's special. He knows he's important. You know, now they're trying to say he never existed. Terry Joyce, who was bought off by the FBI, I've got the little message she sent me when she was bought and they cut you off. Says the FBI wants to work with her, all this stuff. Yeah, she said it on the anniversary of my son's birthday. And what happens is she tells me Aiden's never existed. Sophia Stewart says Aiden's never existed. They're trying to erase him. Now, Jesse, you would know about that. Yeah, I was going to say, I want to, I want to hear what Jesse has to say about that, especially yeah, about the, the kind of the grooming part where, you know, she's saying that he shouldn't have been alive or, you know, you're, you're meaningless. What, what's the, what's the play behind that, Jesse? Um, well, part of that, you know, they're trying to fracture, split um, the mind. So, you know, they always go back to the birth that you're not wanted, you don't belong, you know, you weren't supposed to be born. Um, that causes a lot of emotional damage. And as they start to, or as they do more and more emotional damage, that um, kind of paves the way for them being able to do the mind splits and connect the demonic spirits. Because with each trauma, you get this demonic connection. So the question would be, you know, who were they putting in his life then? Um, you know, were there other people she was introducing him to beyond you? Those are the people who are going to be bringing in, you know, those connections with the demonic spirits. You know, they're going to make him feel wanted, make him feel like he's got value. And so that's how they get that going. And um, so that's, you know, typical grooming programming, you know, they're just building altars. And at the same time, they're testing him to see, you know, out of, with the bloodlines, you have more than one family who's gonna be vying for a hierarchy child. Mm -hmm. So they're trying to see, you know, as she brings different people to connect to him, who has the spiritual gifts most like him and, you know, who, like they're looking for, can he connect to the same demonic spirits that they have based on that? They're going to decide who's going to be, you know, the one teaching him, 
like who will be his teachers, who will be the ones doing the program for him. Um, uh, you know, it's kind of like an apprenticeship thing. Like after they've decided your gifts and what position they're going to put you into, you know, then they're going to connect you to the individual who's going to run you through your apprenticeship position. Wow. In the end, you know, you take that person's position. So they're training you to take up their position. Interesting. But they'll all fight. You know, they will pay big money for for this, they will purchase things that that child has created. So, you know, like with our group, um, you know, there was things back when we were like, you know, five years old where they would have us playing with paint and, you know, we'd put our hand marks onto pieces of paper and then they had us do one where it had, you know, like all my core cell group, which was three of us, they had all three of us have our hand prints on there. Well, then that went to auction and, and the families were buying, you know, deciding who gets to purchase that because it's got your DNA, it's got your fingerprints and, you know, off, or they'll purchase your first work that you ever created. You know, like I've talked about, um, one of my individuals, um, that I was with, like he loved tinker toys and and built this like elaborate tinker toy thing when he was five years old. And Jacob Rothschild purchased that. Wow. And so they believe that anything that they have like that, whether it's a picture of them with you, it's something that you created. Um, when they purchase it, they believe it gives them soul right ties. Wow. This is so, so Wow. Yeah. So now they've got soul right ties and those can change. Like they may decide if, if, you know, you're not falling in line with the system, you're not following into the program, you're not connecting with them. Like you should, they will sell those soul right ties. Somebody else can purchase them for higher money. Um, so Tom, is this jogging any memories for you oh, about what hey. she was doing with with pop, him? Pop, and pop, 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 everywhere, everywhere. Things so are tell, tell us about that. Well, there's things like you said about the person who's going to be introducing him to a different life, right? She had this lady named Charlie who was an ex-porn star. She claims, you know, she says you can see my stuff all over the web. Had been living at our house along with these guys that she had brought in from this cult group at the same time. Alcoholic, angry person who swore that the Dalai Lama wanted to be with her like King and I. And so she was like obsessed about the Dalai Lama loving her and wanted her and all the other women around Dalai Lama were jealous of her. You can see the mindset. So next porn star like that from San Francisco. So this lady named Charlie, who claims to be this lioness, takes Aiden when he's a baby without my permission. They go up onto the mountain in Maui and do this ceremony with this all this ceremony, the fire and everything else which they brought pictures back where they're dancing with the blankets and fire and everything else. And so that was going on without me knowing it. Meanwhile, Charlie would, if she was at the house, she wouldn't do anything to help Aiden. If Beck and I were go running something, she would just sit Aiden in front of the refrigerator and not even do anything with him and then come back and explain that he was evil or bad and wasn't going to even change his diaper. So Aiden was treated like that. And so you're absolutely right. There's all kinds of things that go with this that are coming. There's a whole cult in Coeur d'Alene, which is connected to Pat Robertson. They actually use the words, I am. Now, if you look at Pat Robertson's letters, he always signs, I am MG Pat Robertson, Marion Pat Robertson, right? Which is very interesting. So that's name of God, apparently, you know, so he uses that name, rolling in God's place, if God's not there. Yes, you can see it on his stuff. And uh, later it asked me about the donation checks in Ezra 7, 17, 18, why that's there to get around our tax law. But what you got is the situation where Aiden is just, you're right, they put this guy named Stencil from Washington. Now, Washington, they say Spokane, Washington is the playground of Hollywood. Some may debate this, but that's what Hollywood calls it, the playground of Hollywood. If you're in the inside circle, you would know this. If you're in the outside circle, you can debate it, but this is what it's called. They have the judges in place to do whatever they want. That's why it's the playground. You can get away with any kind of thing, pedophilia, anything you want. You go there, Trudeau can go to Washington and it's fine. Bring his starlets down and play from Canada, prime minister. So it's a safe area to do whatever you want and traffic children. Spokane, Washington's also where a lot of these civilian groups 
are people are employed by the CIA. The two people that train torture techniques are from Spokane, Washington, employed by the CIA for Guantanamo Bay. And then what you have is also, or Guantanamo, um, you also have the situation where uh, Mike Lang has multi-million property there. The big, biggest historic property is Spokane, Washington. You've got this guy named Stencil who claims to be one of the top 10. He's a Mormon. He's also connected to religious right, big fan of Bush and Robertson. He's the one that was assigned to take my child, Aiden, and handle Becca. He handles million dollar cases, claims to be the top 10. What was interesting about this particular attorney who does everything fraudulently and his classmate is the judge he works with in Spokane, Washington, is he listed as being a child psychologist, you know, psychiatrist. So isn't that interesting for the programming? Well, uh, you know, I wonder how they double stack these degrees. You know, they're completely different fields. I know from chaplain work, which I did a lot of counseling and psychology classes as well. You know, it took me 14 years mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. do all that and to actually attend the classes and go to these things. And these people get degrees like candy. You're right. <laughs> it's like, how in the Robertson. world? Did you do all that? I mean, I had to work 60 to 80 hours a week on call, with on calls to get my degree. No, you're right. You know? A rubber stamp it or something. I mean, this plant, like you said, back in Northcutt, she had flunked out of high school. So how is she suddenly making $346 an hour? You know, after she raised the prices when she got back with Mike Lang, the last thing like we did as a family was her record was expunged. There was warrants still out on her prostitution in jail, criminal ex-con. How does suddenly she's raising all her rates from uh, $80 an hour or something like $60 an hour for massage to 80 something to uh, this, um, what's it called? Past life regression sessions where you are now at uh, $342 or something an hour. And then stencils having her claim that she had zero income <clears throat> for all those months. Well, then why does she have this office, really expensive office, and why is she saying, getting all these offers from Mike Lang, Ziet Zion, all these emails saying, here's the red batch, which is supposed to give you some kind of immortality thing. Um, weight loss, fat loss, things like this. She's, she's bulimic. And like all this other stuff, eating disorder. So it's like all this stuff is given to her new outfits right away. How can he get away with saying that she has zero income? And how can they get away with claiming that the only residency Aiden ever had was Spokane, Washington? What, the pedophile capital? He never went to school there. He was born in Maui. He was 11 years on Maui or eight years on Maui. How can he only be the resident of Spokane? How can the Stenshaw, I call him Stenshaw. How can Stenshaw actually get away with saying that that's his only residence? Lie, 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 fraud, fraud, fraud. And this guy's a top attorney? We never had a say. And they put all these orders in. It was a default, but I still have Aiden, don't I? Because Becca didn't want him. I have an email where she said he, she can have him. He's yours. On the phone, Aiden said on the phone when she called in, you slept with other men. She'd always said she was a prude. She never slept with men. You got to trust me, Tom. This is true. In the end, she said, um, it was just a um, connection, just connections. I said, what? And actually I have this recorded call. Connections? She goes, yeah, just sex, just connections. I said, well, how many connections did you have during our marriage? Does it matter? So why yeah, I, yeah. I would say so. <laughs> I mean, what, anybody? And yet her, what they do for her is they'll go, she's this tender heart quote, this wonderful person, this sweetheart. They say this, you know? So they actually, and my sister is banking her. It's two sides of the story. Really? In this case? No. All right, right. Tom. So I got to get you back on track. So we made the connections. She's, she's set it up with this weird woman who brings him up to the mountains they're doing ceremonies and stuff which validates everything that jesse just said this is what yeah. they do yeah. but then it came there came a point when she actually tried to poison him is and me yeah me too and you so t tell me about those two instances well what happens is she had a steps uh son uh stepson named stone stone it's like drugs and he had been in and out of court all the time he had been arrested for bullying gun carrying a gun all this stuff he hated aiden and said aiden wasn't supposed to be born too so he would 
try to beat him or throw him off the table, head planted into the rug when he was a baby, choked him and stuff before he's born. So she, that so he was her like a system kid, right, Jesse? Yeah. Okay. okay. So I just wanted to get that in. That's Sorry. right. I didn't want to That's cut right. back. So in her journals, it said, she left this journal entries out for me to see, like hot in plain sight when she leaves. And so it says that her in stone, when he turns 18, will be off on their own and rich traveling the world. Well, that was the deal. When they're done with me, then they get to have this rewarding system and everything. So Aiden went through hell. He says he doesn't want to go back to the house we grew up in, in Maui because he doesn't want to go back there from all the hell he went through, right? Like Forrest Gump story. So what happens is um, we're in Williamsburg. Here's one incident, Williamsburg, Virginia. I, we're free of her. She leaves and goes off to be with Mike Lang and didn't announce it, just had, said that she's just you know throwing a party. I come back from work. There's a party in Maui on our drive carport and driveway. All these people I've never met. What, in nine, 10 years of marriage, I never met them. Rich people from all over the place that she's partying with. And my friends are there invited too with their mouths agape going, Tom, this is a breakup party. I just got back from work. What, a breakup party? Yeah, the job was done, the case was thrown. So she's going to leave now with a breakup party. you know. And so the next day she's ready to go with a taxi. And there's a picture we have of her and Aiden, she's not even looking at Aiden, she's holding the cat away from Aiden. I'm standing with Aiden, his, his mom's leaving. And so she leaves to Mike Lang, dressed the way he likes to Mike Lang from Disney. Hello. And what happens is three months later, I get a call from her going um, in tears. Good actress. You know, Tom, I didn't mean to leave you. I want to be with you. You know, I want to be with. Why? Because we have a chance to appeal everything. Just to run the clock out on that. Job's not done yet. So I asked Aiden as a father, and maybe I shouldn't have done this, but I asked him, you know, what do you think? Should we give her another chance? I know. You know, I wanted him to have a family. He goes, yeah. So we invite her back. But she can't go to Maui. I can't go to Maui because there's evil spirits. I can't go to Maui because it's the island has pushed me away and doesn't want me on. She was planning to go back to Maui. She had friends there all the time. She even bought off Aiden's friends. And so I had a godfather named Tony Lavoy who runs property management on Maui, who's also connected by Tiffany Jewelry to Becca, Tiffany, Tiffany Jewelry to Becca and all this stuff. She does his massages, everything else. He was a plant. He's a godfather, an actual Italian godfather on Maui. And so he became Aiden's godfather and cut him off as soon as Becca left. We're totally managed and handled, right? By the mafia. He actually had a bodyguard named Tiny who was really big, who's an Italian thug. I mean, come on, people. So yeah. So they, oh, everything pulled afterwards, yeah. So, so Becca when, when back. When did she slip you the roofies and stuff? Tell me about that. Okay, we go to Williamsburg. Very good. We go to Williamsburg, Virginia, because I was offered this position, which Rockefeller's pulled. They offered me this incredible position, a directorship, right? I mean, we're set. So off we go. Of course, we're going to take that bait to the Rockefellers, which are right next to Camp Perry, right? Exit for Williamsburg, Colony Williamsburg, Camp Perry to the right, Williamsburg to the left, Robertson down the street. So they're all there, right? That's where your senators and congressmen go, Williamsburg Inn, that's what it is. The woman that handled me at the Williamsburg Inn, I'll get right to it, was Joni Stevens, who worked with who? Hillary Clinton at the White House as her docent. Ta-da! Yeah, I've got this. This is from Senator David Warren, or Senator Warner, wanting me to work with him. Okay, so I'm being groomed by everybody right now. So what happens is I go back to Williamsburg and they pull the rug anyway. That was the deal. It was just a bait. So Becca joins us in Williamsburg, all teary, all contrite, all loving. It's, you know, and, I'm, and what do I do? I forgive her. Okay, great, Tom. You know, meanwhile, everything's being pulled. The case, the, the plan of attorneys are in place. Everything's being pulled. So I am given this uh, cocktail, this drink. That's a health drink, she says. It was drugs. It was a group of drugs. Her son is there, Stone, growing marijuana from his dad, sent him the seeds from Maui, in his closet. Big plants in the closet with the black lights and everything. It's a drug shop. And Becca's encouraging it, right? He's got the bracelet on him for having already done gunpoint uh, kids and stuff like this and robbing and stuff like that. So he's already got a bracelet on. But Becca makes a deal with the police that she'll go, he'll go back to his dad. Meanwhile, I'm giving this little drink. I, I never had such a scary experience in my life. What happened was I'm laying on the bed and I'm like, 
I can't remember anything two seconds later. Aiden, I don't know how Aiden did this, Jeff and Jesse. I don't know how he did this. He's eight years old at this time. He says, daddy, daddy. I said, go get mommy. Something's wrong. Something's very wrong. I felt like I couldn't, I had to remember how to breathe, how your hearts were. I was going through a bad thing. They had a cocktail and he goes to get back and he comes back saying, mommy's not going to come. Mommy says she doesn't want to come help you. Yeah. Yeah. And so Aiden does this. Aiden goes, daddy, I'm going to give you a word. You say it back to me. Playground. I couldn't remember. I couldn't remember. I said, Aiden, I don't remember your name. I, I didn't say Aiden. I said, I don't remember your name. I can't, I can't think. I can't. It was like I was going down into a darkness where I had no control of breathing. I was trying to remember to breathe. I couldn't remember anything. I couldn't sense. I didn't know who I was, where I was or anything. So I try, I say, when he was talking to me, I said, help me, help me. He helps me go to the bathroom. Becca's not coming in the room. She's right next door. She's not going to come. I get into the bathtub. We run the water with my clothes on. The faucet looked like a Jaguar, like it was changing. Everything was, I was hallucinating. Everything was going wrong. Stone's there with a gun next room. He has these thug friends that said they wanted to replace me. They thought Becca was hot. They wanted him to come to her parties, their parties. That's how sick it was. So Aiden saved my life and I recovered. Becca's excuse, oh, it was made too strong. It was made too strong. You just had a, you just had a trip, you know, no. So but, later, well, but the, the, obviously that's she didn't come in to try to help you, you know. She refused so to. the plan was to get rid of you, mm -hmm. and if they were to get rid of you, what do you suppose would happen to Aiden? And this is where we come back to the train station scene. I think he'd be put right into the pedophile ring. He was too loyal to his daddy. He knew too much, even at his young age. He knew he'd too be much. a sacrifice. He'd be a sacrifice. Because keep in mind, you just brought it up perfectly. He was being erased. So there's gonna be no record of him. What did, so what did uh, Sophia Stewart claim? What does Terry Joyce claim? He never existed. The video he made about a father's journey, they're claiming he didn't make that. He never existed. I made him up, really. What happened to my two sons that were killed? Cremated, not with my permission. Right. Cremated before I ever got a chance to see him. So go ahead. I think you have something to say, Jesse. No, I mean, I was just saying, you know, that's one of their greatest tactical plans. You know, they did the same thing with me, you know, after almost two years of, you know, night and day training with my training partner, you know, when they decided to separate us, you know, I mean, I literally thought he was dead. They staged a whole fire, literally had a house burned down, had it cleaned up the next day. Like there wasn't even, I mean, literally there was fresh grass rolled out and it looked like the neighbor's yard had an extension to it, you know? So there weren't even any signs that anything had burned down, you know? And I had just been out there at two in the morning. So think about that. You know, everybody's getting up for work seven in the morning by seven in the morning. It's all perfectly cleaned up and everybody in the neighborhood it's like these people never existed. You know, nobody would talk about them. If I said something, you know, it was my imagination. There's never been anybody by that name. There's never been, you know, anything like that. And I can remember the first time we, you know, it was probably like six months later, we moved to different state from Illinois to Wyoming. And, you know, there I had the Colorado base and you know I refused to take another training partner like I didn't take any other protector and I can remember like you know it was probably like the second week in school all of a sudden the teacher's like we've got a new student and she said the name of my training partner like not the last name but it was the same first name and I expected you know I was like there was a thought go through my mind you know is it going to be him and I turned around all excited and then it was some, you know, other kid, not him. And I was like, really disappointed, you know, but it was like, why would I have that reaction? You know, and then they even had um, like right afterwards, you know, one of my relatives came and they did 
a play at my school. Now this play just happened to, you know, be based off of the farmer in the Dell and guess who had to be the farmer's wife. Mm-hmm. You know, they picked me and it was like, are you kidding me? I'm not going to be anybody's wife. Like I had just been gone through this horrific thing. And, you know, part of the whole deal was that, you know, I was five. They were trying to marry me off to some nine-year-old. I had refused that. And, you know, then they killed my training partner. And it was like, are you kidding me? And then years later, it's like, 38 years later, my relatives call. Oh, I was going through old pictures. We found a picture of you and your relative at that play when she went to your school in third grade. Do you remember that? That's like, are you kidding me? Like, you have a picture of that, like, really, like the day where I screamed and cried. I mean, literally, like, I threw a tantrum, was like, mm-hmm. I am not gonna be the wife. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, I was so mad and angry. And, um, but they do, like, they keep that stuff forever. And yeah. then, you know, they gave it to, to one of my family members to give to me. Well, she decided to keep this stuff in her garage until she could mail it to me. And it just so happens it all disappears. In Blade Runner, do you have the thing, the one thing that the replicants um, cherish most that ties them to this world is their memories and their pictures they're given. And they cherish their pictures. What happened with Aiden, because this just rose so much up, Jess. I'm sorry you went through that. Uh, his pictures were erased. All his childhood memories were erased. Becca erased everything when she yeah. left. Erased everything. She kept saying, go to Canada, I'll join you there. I'll, everything will be safe with me. She kept, she destroyed everything, destroyed everything. And I remember having the presence of mind of taking some discs from there when she's saying, get on the road, don't worry. I, uh, everything's more safe with me, evidence, everything with me. And I still have them, like right here, I have these discs. But it's, it's, it's something where, um, yeah, they tried to erase any connections, any memories of your existence. You're absolutely right. And one of the most amazing parts about Jesse's story, and it ties in perfectly with what you're going through in this at this time, Tom, is for them to burn down a house at two o'clock in the morning, have bulldozers come in, plant grass, completely fix it up by the morning. The entire neighborhood is in on this. Yes. That's how many people are in on it. And yes. so in, in your circles, Tom, when she's trying to erase Aiden and trying to get rid of you and that there are so many people ready to take actions. As you said, you've, they've got the judges lined up. They've mm-hmm. got everybody lined up. They, these guys are thinking long-term plans when they're doing You're right. that. Like You're right. I'm mapped glad. out. Totally. Look at what happened to my mom's house. They knew we had no place to go in the end when they kept pulling the rug on any job and everything else approaching them. So we end up in mom's house and the neighbor named Tom is Italian mafia. He's a godfather. Everybody comes by. They do. And on his daughter's birthday, when it's COVID, he's allowed to have a gathering all he wants. And everybody's just bump and beep and beep and buy, buy, buy. And he owns 11 different people in the neighborhood. The guy, they do his lawn. I asked him, what do you do for a living? He's like, oh, I just do things for the you know, county roads and stuff. He never leaves the home. And he's got the most expensive pool you can get, the most expensive home, everything. He just lives as a godfather. And this guy that was in charge of you know, surveilling us and everything else is his friend, almost lookalike, who's the one that took me down on the golf course with another guy with his dog, ch- tracked me down there, showed up and took pictures of Aiden in the mailbox in the home and pretended to be a leaf blower at the same time and shows up in the cars. We have the pictures of the cars showing up where the police will do nothing about it because they, any neighbor that calls it in says, well, they're not doing anything wrong. And they they just run this. This guy, when he came to the golf course to get me, right? And was trying to corner me to a fight. He goes back to his place and runs to the neighbor, Tom. And is talking to him in his driveway first before the police even come to us. And so you got this thing where they are operatives. You're right. And what happens? It's almost like ancient Rome where you're shunned, where the neighborhood suddenly feels it's all right to trash you as something bad. If the SWAT team helicopters are flying over your house, if the SWAT team and police are showing up with automatic weapons and looking like there's something from Navy SEALs movie, and they're coming up to telling neighbors, better get inside, you don't want to see this. This is going to be a killing. Then they're going to start to feel like you're definitely a bad guy. You're undesirable, even though I'm taking care of my parents. What happened to Aiden when he went out for the first time with his friend to take a walk? Taken by these four thugs in a car, 
tinted glass that you're not supposed to have dark glass, but they're allowed to the police there. Chase them down. They had to chase through the mud coming back, screaming, get the bad language back here now. Bastard, this kind of stuff. And it's like, he's scared to death. I say, don't worry, we'll call the police. They should take care of this. The police didn't help us. We're not gonna do anything about it. You don't, you're not, you know, you shouldn't have your son here listening. We're not gonna do anything about it. You can go ahead and pursue it. Nothing's gonna come of it. Because they're in the pocket of Brian Fitzpatrick who has bought the chief of police, this deal, this D-I-E-H-L guy. And so he gets the SWAT team. He gets the, you know, brand new facility, multi-million dollar, they just cut the ribbon on. He gets the psych department now working with him so they can rubber stamp people away for 302s. But what happens is you're right. The neighborhood, well, you have this guy coming. I'm on the phone out in front of my property in the yard, my mom's house. This guy starts shouting from a truck. Who are you? Who are you? I'm like, well, I live here. They always start with who are you as if it sounds to the public and the neighbors that you're there in the right, that you're somebody bad. And they have this like a script. Who are you? I'm Tom in front of my mom's house. Who are you? You know? When they got me on the golf course, who are you? It's they shout it. So the neighbors think somebody bad, somebody bad, you know? Yeah. The neighbors think that, but at the same time, it's meant to trigger you that you're to remember your position. Who are you in the system? Who are you in connection? You know, why are these things happening? You know, because you're not falling in line. That's right. You're not being who you are supposed to be. That makes sense. How many times were the police called on us, right, Jesse, to our home with a SWAT team, automatic weapons, body cams, body armor? 11 times in a year. When did they decide to try a 302 on me with a SWAT team police coming in? Christmas, right before Christmas, the holidays. When did they take my clinician that I was working with to make sure that I was, you know, be established I wasn't crazy, right? And she put a PTSD only, don't worry, Tom, they can't say paranoid schizophrenic anymore, like Robertson said, anything like that. They bought her. Fitzpatrick and my sister contacted her. She's not supposed to talk to anybody outside of it, this person from um, sanctuary counseling, but they did. And here she is turning it all around. No more session. We haven't, like, we did our deal. She, last thing we'd done is shook hands and said, thanks, you know, you're a great guy, you're a great person, you know. And, we filled out a affirmation of life plan to show that I'm not a crazy person. What happens next? Without me ever having another session, we're good. We got, we needed to prove that I'm okay. And she said, this will show it after 11 sessions. You know, you're not crazy. You're not crazy, Tom. They bought her. So she contacts his family services to say, I'm going to murder my son because my sister, Julia Zarco, along with Brian Fitzpatrick, the FBI from Cal Hollywood, who's also our congressman, told him to do so. There's all kinds of ethic violations there. And what did she say? Paranoid, schizophrenic with paranoid tendencies. Uh, bipolar one and two, which my sister wanted. It was like a shopping list. All these things where, wait a minute, the diagnosis was not crazy, great guy, intelligent, PTSD suffering. You know, that's it. Wait, what happened? Bought, sealed, and rewards. And of course, she got to go on vacations. Got all these rewards, all that stuff. That's what happens, just like my sister. Send you to the best places, London, the Caribbean, where Trudeau went, CNN appearances, Jimmy Fallon show, you know. And keep in mind, my sister called me and said, Tom, when my son was murdered, she calls me that day after a two-year absence, not even contacting me on birthday, going, Tom, you got to say you're angry, bipolar, and suicidal. Why? I'm not going to say it. So since I didn't say it and said, why you say, I'm not going to say it. Even when she says that means we can't have a relationship. I'm like, you haven't been around for two years and saying, well, if you don't say it, then I don't matter. Then you don't matter. End of conversation. Yeah. (laughs) And why is she telling everybody in the family that I'm calling her all the time to say I'm suicidal? Let's see the phone records. So she's going to get her airtime no matter what and her rewards, no matter what. And what was the last award after the 302 attempt? And these neighbors, like you said, Jeff, are all involved. On the floor of Congress, her picture held up by Brian Fitzpatrick, FBI operative still in the Ukraine situation. Here's a national treasure. My sister was not even licensed. And the reason she doesn't have a license is when Sanctuary was actually helping me at the time, they said, you can't touch her. Nothing can be done to her. Any ethical violations don't matter because she doesn't have a license to revoke. 
What was it with Anthony Rankin? The attorney provided didn't have a license. It was suspended. Their attorneys won't admit it, but same thing. They can say my case is thrown because he doesn't have a license to practice in California. You already have it thrown in the beginning. Besides running out the statutes. So anybody that says, oh, he lost his case, take a look. We actually won and it was denied us. Well, as I said, I still feel, Tom, that uh, eventually you're just going to be able to walk in and just take it. It's not going to cost you multi-million dollars in lawsuits or anything like that. It's just the time is coming. And, and just as we bring this to a close, I just have a final thought here. You, you know, what's so important here is, and, and what's so important about this movie is the movie essentially, the Tom's script, The Immortals, tells about the time and the rise of the Antichrist, which this show has been focusing on because it's we're going to watch the, one of the greatest stories unfold. And by the way, someone made a comment uh, on one of the videos a little while ago that I shouldn't be excited about it. I'm not excited about the Antichrist rising. I'm excited about being alive at this time in history and knowing that God wins. So, and, uh, and we get to report on it. And I'm excited because I get to meet Jesse and Tom and you know, we've got this great people and I've got so much more great insight to, to watch this and, and to narrate it in some degrees on this show. But what's really important about this script is Tom is going to get to put out the full thing. And it's going to be, you know, listen, the red pill, blue pill that everyone's talking about all of a sudden of this year, this is going to be the greatest red pill going. And, you know, people and what, what's really good for humanity is less people will be fooled by the phony Christ when he rises. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we learn from observing, we watch things, people enjoy movies is a good way to learn. Not everyone picks up the books. Uh, we cer certainly suggest on this program to pick up the Bible uh, because it actually spells it out. But Tom has a really great insight onto what this is and it. Everything that he wrote almost 30 years ago has become now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So let's leave it there for today. Tom, I want to thank you. I want to thank you as, as always, Jesse. Remember, love your God, love your family, love your neighbor, and make a difference in your community. Who's right? Who's right? He's right. Right on radio. Right on radio.